All right. Uh, man, what an awesome opportunity and blessing to be here with you today. Uh, when Mac reached out to me, this was, you know, something, you know, without a doubt I was going to do. So tremendous opportunity. Thank you so much for everybody that came by and shook my hand and welcomed me. And you guys got a, an awesome uh, just vibe and spirit here about you. It's just, it's really cool to, to, to be here today. So um, we'll hop right into it. Um, our program has been tremendously impacted by a man named John Gordon. If you're not familiar with him, he's a Christian. And he's an author. Um, he's a guy that has written uh, a few bestsellers. He's written a lot of books. He was rejected by like 40 different publishing companies before he was finally published. Uh, but he's written such books as The Carpenter, The Seed, um, The Energy Bus. He's written uh, uh, The No Complaining Rule. But one of the most impactful books that he's written on my life and on our program is a book called Training Camp. Uh, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to go read it. But the primary uh, meat and potatoes of Training Camp is uh, that John Gordon spent a lot of time researching the best of the best in various fields. So he said he wanted to go and look at the best teachers, the best pastors, the best athletes, the best entertainers, the best at any and all fields that he could find. And he studied these people for years. He just looked at their routines and their habits and the things that they, um, that they did that kind of made them the best of the best. And through this process, he came up with 11 traits that he observed made the best of the best the best, the best that they could be. Um, these traits hang on the wall in our weight room. It's something that we want our players to embody. So we remind them of that all the time. We put it on PowerPoints. We remind them in team meetings of these traits because we want our guys to embody this. So obviously, you know, this past year, we um, accomplished something that we set out to do. We wanted to be the best ever. No team in modern college football had gone 15-0. and 0, So we wanted to be the best of the best. And our guys kind of got together and they did that. Um, and I'm going to talk about that here in a minute, but, but we want our guys to continue to embody that in every aspect of their life, not just on the football field, not just in the weight room, not just in the classroom, but in every aspect of their life. So as I prayed on what God would have me share with you today, I'm not a, I'm, I didn't go to seminary, I'm not a trained pastor, I'm a normal person just like any of you, um, but as I prayed for what God would have me share today, I kept coming back to these 11 traits of the best of the best, not, you know, a, not about us trying to be the best student athletes we can be or the best teachers or whatever you do for a living. It's really more so I wanted to look at it through the lens of Jesus. And he is the best of the best. So, man, how we can look through Scripture and we can see all these different instances where Jesus kind of embodied all these 11 traits of the best of the best since he is the best of the best. And I thought we might kind of dive into that today. So um, the very first one is the best know what they truly want. The best know what they truly want. So as I said, our players knew they wanted a national championship. We had guys that very well had the talent and the ability in the film um, and the maturity to leave for the NFL after the 2017 season. But a lot of those guys came back because they were focused and they were hungry and they knew what they wanted. They knew what they truly wanted. Okay? And they put in the work every day. Those seniors led those guys, led our team, and they set the tone every single day so that we could get to Santa Clara and take care of business. When you know what you truly want, you don't get distracted by anything. Uh, Jesus knew what he truly wanted. If you look through scripture, you'll see that over and over and over again. Um, after John the Baptist baptized Jesus, scripture says in the book of Matthew that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness um, and to be tempted by the devil, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So side note there, the first time I read that scripture years ago, I'm like, 40 days and 40 nights? I don't know if I've gone 40 minutes without eating. Can't imagine 40 days and 40 nights. So that's just a little side note there. It's super impressive. But the devil tried to offer Jesus food. He tried to offer him comfort. Tried to offer him protection. He tried to offer him kingship. Uh, but Jesus knew that His Father in heaven 
is the true God and that the devil can't match him in anything. Jesus resisted temptation to sin because he knew what he truly wanted, to honor God and to achieve the mission for which he was sent. So Coach Schwinney tells our team all the time, he reminds our guys, obviously they're college kids, they're, they're surrounded with a tremendous amount of temptation. He reminds our guys, don't give up what you want most for what you want in a moment. Jesus, in that moment, was probably really hungry. I can't imagine not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. He probably wanted food in that moment, but he wasn't willing to give up what he wanted most for what he may have wanted in that moment. If we truly want to honor God, we're not going to get distracted by the things this world has to offer because what God has on the table for us is far greater than anything this world can offer. Jesus was persistent in his refusal of the devil's proposed distractions, and Scripture says that Jesus told Satan to be gone. The devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So Jesus won that battle because he stayed, tr- he stayed focused on what he truly wanted. So um, I kind of think about when those, those angels came to minister to him, maybe they brought a basket of, like, hamburgers or something because I can't imagine not eating for 40 days. But the best know what they truly want. Number two, the best want it more. You've got to know what you want, and you've got to want it more. So if you want to be the best, you've got to want it more than your opponent. We tell our players all the time, everybody's practicing. Every team we play, everybody's practicing, everybody's living. Lifting, everybody's running, everybody's going to class, everybody's taking care of their nutrition, but who's going to do it better? And we do have a true opponent, and that opponent is the devil. Satan referred to in scripture as the devil, the adversary, the tempter, the evil one, the father of lies. He's our enemy, and he wants our souls, but Jesus wants our souls more, and we've got to want Jesus more. Jesus says in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus wants us more. We're it to him. The best want it more. We're it to him. We're his delight. We're his pleasure. We're his love. We're that one sheep that we sang about that he leaves the 99 to go find. He fights for us. He wants us more than the devil does. I guarantee you that. So we should want him more than anything that this world has to offer. Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer anyway. The best want it more. Number three, the best are always striving to get better. Jesus was perfect. There never has been, nor will there ever be, anybody like Jesus. He was pure, he was perfect, he was holy, he was righteous. In my profession, we would call Jesus a tone setter. So we kind of identify those guys on the team. This guy's a tone setter. This guy's always out front. He sets the tone for everybody else. He kind of raises the temperature for the collective group. He's our leader. That's our alpha dog. So even though Jesus was perfect, we see many instances where he set the tone for everybody else. He grew. He displayed for us how we should grow and improve every day. Um, He showed love and compassion to others. I think that's the number one thing. He took time to teach his disciples and thousands of people that are around him. He, he didn't have to do that. There were thousands of people that followed him everywhere he went, and he took the time out of love and compassion to teach those people. If we're going to get better, it's got to start with a growing relationship with the Lord. That's the foundation, and that's something that I've learned in my life. I've gone through periods of time where I've you know, not been committed to Scripture and I've not been committed to prayer, and those are usually pretty rough times if you're, if you're out of Scripture and, and out of prayer. Um, there are many books and podcasts, 2019, there's, you know, audio books and, you know, stuff on the internet. There's all kind of different ways that we can improve ourselves and we can learn and we can grow. I mean, this whole, um, you know, outline that I've kind of put together is based on a, based on a book um, written by a human being. And those things are great. You know, John Wooden said that, that we need to drink deeply from good books, but we need to drink extra deeply from the good book. Um, 
So those things are great. We gotta we gotta improve ourselves, but the foundation is spending that time in the in the Word and in, in prayer with the Lord. Um, you know, Dr. Charles Stanley said that the Christian will guard himself by feasting on God's Word every day. So I think about that word feast. You know, we 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 we. Uh, we don't need to just kind of nibble on God's word. We don't need to have God's word as an appetizer. We need to feast on God's word every day. So the best are always striving to get better. And I truly believe that the best way to make yourself better is to feast on God's word every day. Number four, the best do ordinary things better than everybody else. Think about the ordinary things that Jesus did better than anyone ever. Jesus was a preacher, right? The greatest preacher of all time. He was the greatest preacher. Think about the great preachers that you have in mind. You think about who's the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I hope it's Pastor Kenny. But think about the greatest preacher you've ever heard. I got you. Um, Jesus was greater than all them. Preachers, we're we're still preaching his life and his word 2,000 years after his life. That's pretty impactful. The best do everything better than everyone else. He lived better than anyone. He was sinless. I've been on this earth 31 and some change years. I've sinned a lot. He was on the surf 33 years. He didn't sin once. That's pretty impressive. That's amazing. That's a heck of a standard. That's a heck of a tone setter right there. So when I think about Jesus doing the ordinary things better than everyone else, I think about the story of Jesus as a boy in the book of Luke. His parents left Jerusalem after the Passover feast to return home. And I don't know how, but they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't in their caravan. And it took them about three days to find him. Um, So they went back. They found him. Scripture says he was in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So the, his parents spent every single day with him, and even they were astonished at how well he understood and how well he uh, understood God's word. His parents asked why he had distressed them and not trying to you know, help them find him since he knew that they'd be looking for him. And he responded, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So I think about that as an ordinary thing. How many 12-year-olds do you know that sit at the feet of teachers of scripture for three days asking questions and astonishing him with their understanding. That's pretty cool. So what we have is far less important than what we do with what we have. So Jesus, you know, the printing press hadn't been invented then. So I'm assuming he didn't have a Bible. Um, most likely the printing press, I mean, I'm sorry, most likely, um, you know, he didn't have that scripture to refer to. He had a mind, he had two eyes, he had two ears, and he had time. And he used what everybody else has, and he was extraordinary with it. We, we have a quote in our indoor, if you've ever taken a visit to our facility, it's kind of one of the pillars of our program, George Washington Carver. He says, when you do the common things in life in an uncommon way, you'll command the attention of the world. Jesus absolutely exemplified that for us. The world is still commanded, our attention is still commanded by Jesus 2,000 years after his life. He took the ordinary and made it extraordinary. The best do ordinary things better than everybody else. Number five, the best Zoom focus. So back when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, you remember what he told Satan? He said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus dropped an authoritative spiritual knowledge bomb on Satan. So prior to that, the devil had been quoting scripture to Jesus. He was trying to tangle him up. He was manipulating scripture trying to tangle up Jesus. So what does that tell us? The devil knows God's word too. Okay, so he manipulates it. He knows it, right? When we study God's word, we have to focus on what we're doing. It can't just be, and I've, I've been guilty of this myself, it can't just be, all right, I'm going to have 10 minutes of quiet time in the morning, and as soon as I'm, you know, I'm going to set a clock, as soon as 10 minutes is over, I'm going to mark that out of my agenda. I knocked that out today. Woo! I'm spiritual. Woo! It's got to be focused. It's gotta be, we've got to be focused on God's word. We've got to learn it. We've got to apply it. 
We've got to apply it in our lives. We've got to be on guard. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that we are to be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We've got to be on guard, and the only way we can be on guard is to be in God's word and to have that strong relationship with him every day. The best, zoom focus. Number six, the best are mentally stronger. Jesus was mentally strong. No matter what the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the devil threw at him, no matter what they used to try to trip him up, he was ready, and he was on point. Why? Because he was mentally stronger, he was focused, he was in constant communication with the Father, he was filled with the Spirit. He was intelligent because he took the time to be. He knew what God wanted from him, he knew what his mission was, and he remained focused on it. God wants us to think, right? He gave us brains for a reason. He didn't want us to be puppets on a string. He gave us free will. He gave us the opportunity to think and to reason and to come up with our own uh, path for our life if we want to. Um, but when we know Jesus is the way, there's only one path. And Jesus told his disciples in reference to the cost of discipleship, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, everyone's going to mock him. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we've got to think, okay, we've got to think about what it takes to follow Jesus. It can't just be a half-hearted deal. We've got to be all in. We tell our players to be all in. That's Coach Schwinney's foundation for our program. Man, we've got to be all in with Jesus. We can't be one foot in, one foot out. Uh, I think there was a country song about uh, an angel with no halo, one wing in the fire. We can't be that way. We've got to be all in with Jesus with everything that we do. We're mentally stronger when we submit to Jesus and we allow him to work through us. And our thinking process and everything that we do is through him because of him and by him. And Proverbs says that as a man thinketh, so is he. So we know that the mind is very powerful and we need to give our mind to Jesus. We need to submit that and everything we have to him. Number seven, the best overcome their fear. When Jesus knew that the time had come for him to be captured and crucified, the book of Luke says that he withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So I look at this, and I see tremendous courage from Jesus. So he was fully God and fully man. We, try to, we think about Jesus as fully God. He was also fully man, too. He was tempted with everything that we're tempted with. He was not the first person to be crucified. He lived in a culture a Roman, uh, run by the Roman Empire that practiced that horrible means of execution on a regular basis. So he knew all too well what that process entailed, what it looked like, what it sounded like, what it smelled like, and it was terrible. So any of us in our humanness would have asked God if there was any other way. But Jesus immediately went back to his purpose and God's calling for him. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. He overcame the fear and the anticipation gripping him to stand up and achieve what God sent him to do. And I think the key here is that he didn't overcome his own fear by any human strength. He immediately jumped into prayer with the Father. He overcame his fear by prayer. So any fears that we have in our lives, the only way to overcome them is to get in the word and get in prayer with God because life is too hard to do by ourselves. And anybody that's 
been through some stuff, you know that. And everybody's, if you hadn't been through some stuff, you're going to go through some stuff. That's a, that's a guarantee in life. So we've got to be in that word. We've got to be in communion with the Father. So the best overcome their fear. Number eight, the best seize the moment. The best seize the moment. Coach Schwinney tells our players and staff constantly, we've got to be prepared to seize your opportunity even if it never comes. Because if your opportunity does come and you're not prepared, it's going to pass you up pretty quickly. So Jesus set the example for us because he seized every moment, every opportunity that came his way. He healed lepers. He restored the sight to the blind. He healed paralyzed people. He returned the ability to talk to people that couldn't talk. Okay? He provided food for people. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead, and he did so much more. In the process, he showed compassion and grace and faith and hope. And most importantly, love. He sees the moments of opportunity in front of him to show God's love and to show us that he's our Savior. One of my favorite instances of Jesus um, seizing the moment was during the Passover. John chapter 2 says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He seized the moment. He could have walked right by that. But he seized the moment to teach us a valuable lesson 2,000 years later, and that's that the house of God is to be respected. Okay, So I love that because that shows Jesus' righteous anger. It's okay to get angry as long as it's directed in a righteous manner. Think about our lives and the time span of history. You think about the, from the time that God created the earth until whenever he decides to, 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 for Jesus to come back. Um, we're merely a speck on that timeline. The scripture says that life is a vapor. We're here for a short time. So I think about Jesus. He was only here for 33 years. He seized every moment, every opportunity that he had. He did more in 33 years than most people do in 93 years. He seized every single opportunity that came his way. The best seized the moment. We just got a few more. Number nine, the best tap into a power greater than themselves. Life is too hard to do by ourselves. We talked about that. There's so many bad things that happen. If you don't believe me, turn on the news at night. Can't even watch the news. It's unbelievable. I just want to see something, like, happy. Like, just film a squirrel climbing in a tree or something and just put it on for 30 minutes. Like, can we just do something cool like that? Um, How can we deal with this life? By tapping into a power greater than ourselves, and that power is God. Jesus was constantly in communion with the Father. He didn't try to do it by himself. Why? Because he knew that God is in control of everything. God created everything. I've never created a galaxy. I've never created an ocean. I have never created a man from dirt. And I don't think any of you have either. God is almighty. He is everything. Um, So we need to trust him because he knows a thing or two. Psalm 139.2 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So he creates grand things like galaxies, and he also takes the time to put tremendous detail into knitting each one of us together in our mother's womb. And if that ain't a God we can get fired up about, I don't know what is. When my son was born, I remember holding him. He was born, doctor handed him to me, and I remember holding him and just being amazed that this living, breathing little human was developed inside my wife. Like, it's just unbelievable. Like, it's, it's such a miracle, and that's a power that we should be eager to tap into. And the beauty is that God allows us the opportunity to tap into that power. He allows us to pray to him anytime, anywhere. We don't have to be at church to pray. We don't have to uh, do you know, anything special. You can be driving in your car and pray. He gives us tremendous opportunity to pray to him. He gives us his word. In 2019, we've got the written word. We've got podcasts. We've got audio books. We've got the Bible in just about every language on the earth. So there's really no reason for us to not be in his word. And then if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've got three 
tremendous resources there that God gives us uh, to teach us and to help us tap into a power greater than ourselves. The best tap into a power greater than themselves. And we got two more. Number 10, the best leave a legacy. So when I think about legacy, it's not all about you. Legacy is about the people you impacted and what they did with the impact you had on them. So I want to impact my children and my student athletes in a way that they go on in life and they kind of, you know, put that out and spread that out and, and take, you know, whatever I can teach them and whatever I can show them and any wisdom I can give them and they can go impact people's lives in a positive way. So the beauty of it um, is that Jesus is the greatest leader and teacher of all time. So we don't have to look very far to, to look for a legacy. His legacy is so strong that we're still talking about him 2,000 years after his life and we're still filled with his Holy Spirit. Uh, you're, we're here today in this building because of him. We've got hospitals and charitable organizations and towns and people and universities and so much more that are named after him. First Peter 2, 21 and 22 says that Jesus left us an example so that we might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So he left a tremendous legacy in the example that he left for us. And when he ascended into heaven, he left us with his Holy Spirit to lead us, fill us, guide us, comfort us, and help us. And that's a tremendous legacy to leave behind. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he puts in us. That's pretty powerful. The best leave a legacy. And then finally, number 11, the best make everyone around them better. When Jesus called his first disciples, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they were fishing, and he told them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was in the book of Matthew chapter 4. So Jesus took an ordinary activity, an ordinary career back then. These guys were fishermen, very ordinary um, lifestyle for them back then, and he turned it into something spectacular. He said, you've been fishing fish, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's pretty special. So Peter and Andrew probably had no idea what they were getting into, but they knew that Jesus was special and worth following because scripture says that immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't think about it. They didn't have a conference. They didn't uh, call their financial advisor and ask if that would be a good idea. They immediately left their careers behind and followed him. And then right down the road, James and his brother John did the exact same thing. So I think about that. Can you think, can you imagine giving your two weeks, not even a two weeks notice, more like a two day notice, like I'm done two day, I'm walking out the door two day, to follow a dude you've never met? That's a pretty awesome power right there. That's the power of Jesus. I love the story of Zacchaeus when it talks about making people better. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that? So talk about making someone better. Think about Jesus' impact on Zacchaeus. The people of Jericho hated Zacchaeus. He was not, uh, he didn't go to Publix and people, hey, Zacchaeus, what's up, man? They went the other way. They went down the, they went down the meat aisle if they needed milk. Like, they just wanted to avoid him. Um, he was a tax collector, so he lived a really good lifestyle because he deceived people. Um, he stole from him. He wasn't exactly a pillar of the community, but all that changed because Jesus took the time to interact with him. Jesus impacted his life. He spoke to him, um, and as, when Jesus got done speaking to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus said that he was going to give all he had to the poor and restore fourfold anyone that he had defrauded. I'd say that Jesus made Zacchaeus better. Jesus made his disciples better. Jesus made all of us better and continues to make all of us better. He uh, said that he came to seek and save the lost. We go to the doctor when we're sick. He came to save us because we're spiritually sick and we're in grave need of the great physician. He makes us better because he loves us and we become even better when we invite him to live in us. The best make everyone around him better. So to conclude, I pray that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you'll pray to him, confessing that you're a sinner and in need of him as your Savior. Acknowledge that you believe he died on the cross for you and rose on the third day to give you eternal life. Believe me, you're not alone. Every person in this building was born a sinner. If 
fallen short of the target that God has set for us, but we are saved, redeemed, renewed, and restored because of Jesus Christ. Once you've done that, get in his word. John 20, 31 says that Jesus' life and signs were written about in the Bible so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. So God gave us his word, not as busy work, but as basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. In our program, our motto is best is the standard. Jesus is the best of the best. He is our standard. He set a path for us. Our only requirement is to trust him, and he'll take care of the rest. Be blessed and be a blessing, and we'll turn it over to Pastor Kenny. Thank you.